Welcome to ATRA, Voices from the Field. This sustainable agriculture podcast is presented by the National Center for Appropriate Technology with support from USDA Rural Business Cooperative. Hey, this is Lee Reinhardt with uh, NCAT ATRA program. And I'm an agriculture specialist in the Northeast Regional Office. And um, on today's podcast, uh, we have a, a pretty special guest. We're going to be talking with Troy Bishop. Uh, many of you know Troy as the Grass Whisperer. Um, he hails from Deansboro, New York, and he's been doing some uh, grass-fed custom grazing for, for, for many years, uh, dairy heifers and grass-finished beef and a lot of backgrounding work and also works with producers at the Madison County Soil and Water Conservation District and the Upper Susquehanna Coalition. And uh, he's a wealth of knowledge, and I always like to bend Troy's ear. And I thought today uh, we could take a little time and, and talk about, you know, some of the questions that come up, you know, with, with, with the grazing season and seeing that it's getting towards the end, of the end of the year and we're entering into the winter. I thought I'd just pick Troy's brain for a while and, and uh, you know, see how he does things on his farm and what's worked, what hasn't worked, some recommendations. And what do you think about that, Troy? Welcome to the program. Thanks, Lee. Uh, thanks for NCAT for hosting me. And uh, there probably isn't a whole lot to pick for my brain, but I can do the best I can. <laughs> well, that's what I always hear from Troy. He always prefaces it with that, and then we get into a really good conversation. So I really appreciate it. Um, I don't know. Some of the things that I think are on, on mind of some producers about this time of the year is the idea of winter feeding and, uh, you know, calculating hay needs and how do you maintain body condition, you know, through the winter. And I was wondering, you know, what are some of the things that you're thinking about this time of the year as the grazing season is winding down and you're looking in toward the winter and towards the spring? So thanks for uh, prompting me. Being that uh, I have about two more weeks of grazing left on stockpile forage, so um, generally, if you don't have it already, you really should have some feed on hand. And uh, I use a, a pretty simple um, back of the napkin, three percent of cow's body weight and feed um and i buy all my feed so i take that my 60 head of heifers and calculate and get a a daily feed rate and go to the marketplace and uh get feed so it's easy for me because you know i know what the bales about weigh and i work with several farmers around the area and I just say I need 200 bales or 300 bales or whatever my whatever I'm going to need for the winter. But sooner the better, or I should have. I mean, generally I'm already stocked up by October. Uh huh. So, um, so you, uh, I know right today we've got uh, 50 degrees but yesterday we were going to get a, a half a foot of snow and you know it's nice to have feed so you have options in case something really happens you know you get two feet of snow and you can't graze right right and and you know it's always tricky to kind of plan for the winter but what are 
some of the biggest concerns that you have, you know, in going into the winter, and how do you how do you prepare best? What do you see? I mean, thinking equipment needs and, you know, uh, betting on hand, what type of emergency strategies you might have as you're going into an unknown winter? So the first thing that uh, has happened over a bunch of years is I used to start stockpiling and grazing high on the hill or – I didn't really have a plan to where they needed to go. They kind of had a rotation. Well, in the last couple of years, I have a strategy to be off the hill by the 1st of December because I've had uh-huh. some pretty heavy snow, and they're up on the hill, and I'm down on the flat. Oh, it's a bear. So right now, by December 1st, they're going to be closer to the barn. Um, that's one thing, just because of the pure s- snow load and Christmas and all kinds of things, I'd feel a lot more comfortable when they're heading towards the barn. So for me, um, for me, I need to have a strategy when it gets bad. And so I have barns, I have shelter, I uh, have my feed placed in strategic areas, Um and uh, then, well, and for me, well, and the efficient... about that. Well, how do you Go deal ahead. with water too, Troy? How do you deal with water in those in in those bad conditions? So generally, I'd like to have better water um, facilities. Um, usually, I rely on gravity, which works great most of the time until it gets ten below zero, or so. Then I go to the streams. Um, I do rely on streams and water from the milk house that's, you know, warm. Uh, And I'll preface that by saying, you know, they don't get the whole stream. They get a small portion of it to drink from, and then they leave. Mm -hmm. So I have to to be cognizant of where they are and where they're going. Um, And the the other factor for me is I need to be – I'm a contract grazer and I work full time, so I need to be efficient with my equipment. So picking up big bales with one tractor, that tractor's always in the barn, warmed up, ready to go. It makes a makes it very efficient, and then knowing where the cows are going to be, and I can just drop bales and go. Mhm. Mm-hmm. And how many tra- months? Well, how many months do you uh, do you think you feed throughout the winter? Well, according to my grazing chart here, um, I've grazed, I used to graze about 180 days. I'm actually up to about 240 to 260 days. So my feeding's actually gone way down just because mm-hmm. of stockpiling and stocking rate and everything else. So uh, I'm usually feeding, you know, feed from uh, about December 15th until April 20th. Mm-hmm. Here and that's in the New York. And certainly, that that'll that'll change based upon you know uh, where where you're where you're living and where you're raising cattle. Um, but very common for our area of the Northeast with some with the hills and with 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 the with the heavy snow load. That, absolutely. I uh, again, you never know. The weather is the wild card, and so 
If it doesn't snow, we can keep grazing if we have the grass, the stockpile. If we get a big heavy snow like we had last year early and Thanksgiving, we had two and a half feet of snow. I basically had lost 25 acres of stockpile, got smushed into the ground for worm food. Uh, we tried to vacuum it up as best we could with cows, but, you know, you take uh, – cool season grasses and mash them into the ground and even though it melted a week later um, there wasn't you know there was probably only about 12 acres that was actually grazable so uh -huh. you take you win you win some you lose some sure well you know you're talking about stockpiling a lot and <clears throat> certainly that's um uh, uh, the way that you have reduced, you know, your feed costs, um, and a lot of producers are doing it uh, across the country. What do you? How do you plan for that? How do you plan for your for uh, for stockpiling for the upcoming winter? In other words, as we as as we go through the grazing season of 2018, what are you doing, and how are you planning your grazing such that you have enough feed stockpiled for next year? Holy cow, that's a big that's a big <laughs> question. Uh, so, um, you know, I guess me being a veteran of grazing, you know, it's kind of I'm already in pre-planning mode. You know, right now, um, I I'm trying not to think about 2018, but I'm also looking at my grazing chart and keeping track of stuff and saying, well, what could I do better? Um, what do I want to do with my life? What's the balance between cows and life and, and my environment? Um, I got to get that back in line, back in focus after Christmas before I can make any big um, moves. But, you know, my goal has always been to graze for as long as I can. And so the everyone's got to figure this stuff out over the winter time um, to find that sweet spot between, you know, having not enough cows and too much land or having the right balance so you can stockpile. Um, the big question is, does stockpiling actually make you money versus feeding hay? Every farm is so different. Um, and then if you lose 25 acres to the snow and you had to buy the hay anyway, so there's uh, there's science, there's planning, and then there's the the hopeful joy of grazing that all will turn out well. Um, but I'm actually thinking about stockpiling as soon as spring hits. Um, where do I want to stockpile? Where do I want to set aside grass? Can I find neighbors that have crop residues or cover crops to graze? Uh, everything's on the table in the wintertime to figure all this stuff out. Because for me, uh, grazing cattle is the only thing that really makes money. Feeding cattle with feed during the winter is a break-even proposition as far as I can mm -hmm. tell. Mm-hmm. Just because you don't get the gain, the rate of gain, you know, you've got, I, I've done the numbers. I've kept track of the labor and the tractor hours. And for us on our farm, it just isn't 
financially viable in the wintertime. Uh, and then, you know, my wife and I want to do vacation. Maybe we want to go to some grazing schools over the winter. We're constantly battling taking care of animals or going on vacation. So there's there's a lot of decisions that need to be made. Uh, I'm saying after the first of the year because I'm trying to enjoy the holidays with my grandkids. Yeah. So you're looking at you're looking at 2018 grazing season, and you're kind of planning out your paddock moves and where the cattle are going to be. You know, how are you how are you going to be treating these cool season pastures to prepare them for uh, for for a stockpiling season? Um, in other words, you know, when do you take the cattle off? When do you start preserving that land? At what time of the year is that best for you in New York? Again, it all depends. The uh, it it sounds so simply, it just, uh-huh. but it it really is all about the weather and how much you can actually leave as residual. You know, are you getting is it getting too dry, too wet? Uh, generally, um, my friend Cliff Hallbaker, he has these, uh, terms he calls decision days. And one of my decision days is, uh, is August 10th. And that's 60 days before our scheduled first frost here in New York. Mm-hmm. So that moving up from spring till August 10th is all about, what am I going to do August 10th? Because I need to get it back vegetative. Do I cut it for hay? Do I bush hog it? Do I graze it down? And then do I have enough land so I can send the cows off and let it just sit there for 60 days? Uh, do I want to? What? And and so every year is so different. Um, this year, oh, we had wonderful rains, too much rain, really. Oh, we were going well, and, oh, I was thinking we're going to get up just a bumper crop, a stockpile. And then, lo and behold, around August 10th, it stopped raining. It didn't rain for like three or four weeks. Woohoo! So um, we had enough residual. We got some pretty good stockpile. And, uh, you know, and then we moved some cows off to a rental farm. And, you know, we're able to do about half of what we did last year because last year um, we had – we had mobile cows. We brought in a bunch of cows to eat up the extra grass, and then we shipped them off to the back to their uh, a large CAFO operation. So we didn't have the numbers that we had this year. Mm-hmm. So, so well, again, you know, I, it's not a, it's not easy, but it it now, does. Well, I think that those decision days that you talked about, uh, you know, I've heard Cliff talk about them. That he he he'll have decision days in the early summer too. Um, you can do it all throughout the year, and I think that's so important. I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, he'll he'll use a de- he'll set a decision day backed up maybe two or three weeks from when he thinks his summer slump's going to hit and his cool season perennials are going to start to decline. And that decision day, he can make a decision of what, where he's going to have his cattle, and does he need to destock? Does he need to add land? Does does he need to feed hay or whatever? And I think that takes a little bit of the uncertainty out of the equation. Would you think so? Absolutely. You've got to have enough uh, tools in the toolbox to, you know, to slide right through 
uh, year after year, and and so the guys like Cliff and Jim Garrish and oh I don't know a myriad of people that have more experience than me. I I listen to them. I learn. Mm-hmm. Um, I came up with a term this morning. It's probably not a new term, but um, I call it. I'm calling the 2018 learning season situational grazing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, a lot of times we go through these, uh, we have workshops and events and, you know, we talk about water and we talk about, I don't know, mapping and fencing systems and all this stuff. And I, I'm more interested in is is uh, throwing out some situations farmers face and going hard at it for an hour for each topic. So say you want to stockpile and you want to get um, 60 more days of grazing, how are you going to do that? And mm-hmm. brainstorm every way conceivable and put a number on it. Financially, does it make sense? And just keep going back until you've, you've run out of ideas. Um, I think that's going to be good for all farmers to hear all situations, and then they can pick the right one that works for them. Because it's complicated, on what what right. you uh, what you want to do, and so that's what yeah. I'm I'm strategizing now. As I'm uh, shoring up these grazing charts, you know, those are these are monitoring tools. So I've got several farmers that I'm I'm trying to figure out how many days rest total for the year, and um, and then use that as teaching tools for individually or for groups to. How are we going to get better? How are we going to right. make more money? And you've talked about, you know, how complicated the grazing season is and planning and putting a lot of time into thinking ahead and having decision days and such. And you've mentioned a couple of times the grazing chart. And um, certainly one, one of the tools that's out there that certainly helps you and a lot of the producers that you work with. I wonder if you'll talk just a minute about the chart and how you use it and what it does for you. Well, the good news, <laughs> the good news is apparently the grazing chart in my name pop up pretty regular on Google. Mm-hmm. So if you have a idea that you want to take a look at it, um, it's really not my grazing chart. It's a, uh, it's a, it's basically a bunch of lines on a piece of paper that was developed by Holistic Management International, the Savory Institute. Uh, everyone's got a different way of. Uh, Looking at it, we we augmented it through a uh, Northeast SARE grant, and, and because a lot of us aren't using technology, it's basically a paper sheet that's big enough so I can actually see it. It fits on a wall, and we use all the tools of planning, but then we move right to the this piece of paper, and we use pencil to run these situations um make x's and o's just like a football game and see you know every 30 days you know what's going to happen what do we think's going to happen and how are we going to adjust our grazing to meet these situations like you know vacations drought breeding flushing of ewes you know you name it mm-hmm. um and just try to get better and I've got about five or six years worth. It's kind of fun to look back and see what decisions you made. How did you, uh, you know, 
a couple years ago, I got 262 days of grazing. How did I do that? You know, what was my stocking rate? And this year, I'm, I think I'm going to be at 240. So, you know, I lost 20 days. Is that good or bad? What's going on? What's happening? How can I get better? It is kind of an interface then between between you and your decision making and what's going on on the field. And you know, you said you've got five or six years of of, of old charts, and that's got to be a gold mine of information of monitoring. You know, things like rainfall, snow load, uh, forage yield, um, days on pasture. Uh, that's got to be a, a good tool to help you estimate and plan what you're going to do the next grazing season, right? Absolutely, and the, I, it's, this isn't something new. The best grazers that I know that are very successful, they have some kind of tool. Not all of them mm-hmm. have a grazing chart that I use per se, but they have you know, a spreadsheet or they have a, um, a grazing wedge or some kind of planning tool, monitoring tool, decision-making tool, and those folks that I try to emulate um, are constantly walking their fields, measuring the growth rates per week or per day. You know, they're they're feeling the weather. They're using their every tool, their eyes, their ears, their brains, yardsticks, worksheets. So, you know, for me, it relieves stress. That that's the big key. Is you know, you go along, yep. You have these problems or, you know, weather issues or, you know, whatever goes on in your life, and you can kind of roll through them. You're, you're, you're proactive, not reactive. That, that's what I've learned from these successful farmers. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's really good, I, it, and, and you're right. There's so many tools out there, and you have to find one that works for you and it's intuitive for you because what I've noticed is that if it's too complex and you don't understand it, you're not going to use it. Um, nope. Something that's simple that works for you, um, like you said, you can put that on the barn and it's there. You know, it's never going away. And I've been to dairy farms in Northeast Pennsylvania and and in New York, and I've seen charts like that on the wall. And it's it, it, it's very interesting to walk up and just kind of get a glance of their grazing system. Um, but uh, but yeah, so with, with a chart like this, how how do how does somebody get one? I mean, if say somebody wants to try this chart, how do they how do they get a chart? So the the easiest way, uh, again, this isn't. I I put this out as an Excel spreadsheet. Many people go to Staples or someplace to get them printed off. Um, mm-hmm. Onpasture.com, um, NCAT could host. You know these. Uh, you know within an, another month, I'll be making new charts for 2018-19 because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. our our grazing season's been going from March to March. Um, and instead of having two sheets, um, you know, the non-growing season and the growing season, we got everything on one. So you go right. all the way through. Um, so, so we host it here at the Madison County Soil and Water Conservation District. Um, there's many partners from Vermont all throughout the Northeast that if they want to host, put it on their website or whatever, people can download it. Um, we at the USC have made probably three, four, five hundred charts. We we sell at a very low price, you know, to get it in the hands of farmers so they can go plan and monitor at events. 
So you'll usually uh, after the first of January, you'll see me and you say, "Oh, hey, there's the grass whisperer," and I'll have a tube of grazing charts that are usually hooked to my hip somewhere. Yeah, it's like Christmas. Yep. Well, uh, th- that's that's really great. And you mentioned pa- um, on pasture, uh, a really good uh, informative website um, uh, run by Kathy Voth. Uh, go to onpasture.com. That's one place. It's an easy place to get the chart, and you can just Google in Troy's name, Troy Bishop, and grazing chart. Uh, he's got some articles on there and how to use it and how he does yeah. it. And certainly, you can do it any way you want. But um, that's 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 the beauty of the chart. Um, well, it's been a it's been a great half hour, Troy. I really appreciate it. Um, how can how can people reach you? Uh, would you talk with somebody or email with somebody about how they're doing, and answer their questions? So you can probably get a hold of me best here at the Conservation District three one five eight two four nine eight four nine, or go to Troy Dash Bishop with two P's at Verizon dot net. Very good. That, and I'll, that's do the it. Best, um, I'll do the best I can with uh, what I what I have. Very good. Well, uh, some of the best information, um, you know, comes uh, farmer to farmer. I've 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 learned so much from other farmers, and that's I think the best way uh, to get better is just to talk to your colleagues and talk to uh, talk to other farmers. So again, I appreciate it, Troy. Go visit. Uh, um, uh, uh, Troy's website um, uh, uh, on pasture.com as well, and uh, the Atro website. We've got some information on how to use grazing charts and how to uh, how to plan for your grazing season. Troy, thank you very much. I really appreciate talking with you, and let's try to do this again for a part two soon, shall we? Yes, thank you very much. And uh, go plant instead of planning. Let's create. Thank you. Very good. That's an w- excellent way to end it. Thanks, Troy, and uh, Thank you. stay stay tuned for the for the next issue of Grazing with Troy Bishop. Thank you. You can find other episodes of Atra, Voices from the Field, along with Atra's other sustainable agriculture resources, at www.atra.ncat.org. That's www.attra.ncat.org.